This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Denied access to the mainstream press, the socialist movement from its very early days launched newspapers to provide a voice for the working man. These served as a forum in which labour leaders could criticise corrupt politics, undermine authority and call for fair working conditions. James Connolly was a strong believer in this technique and founded, edited or contributed to a vast number of left-wing publications in his life. The most notable of these was the Workers' Republic, which served as the newspaper of the Irish Citizen Army. It was printed in Liberty Hall on an antiquated press. The man who operated this press was Christopher J. Brady. Mr. Patrick Daly gave me the routine of work which I was to print, which was the work connected with the Irish Transport and General Workers' Union. There was also work on the membership cards of the union and concert programmes for the weekly concerts which were held in Liberty Hall on Sunday nights. We started to print a weekly paper called The Workers' Republic. It was set up and printed in Liberty Hall. It was set up by William O'Brien and Michael Malloy and printed by myself. This was a weekly issue also. Coming on to 1916, the Castle authorities were very active raiding for seditious literature, or as they called it, rebel papers. The papers were Spark, Honesty and The Gale, and were printed at Joe Stanley's printing works, Liffey Street. Stanley's place came in for special attention by the Castle searching authorities. When the police would raid the works, the type forms would be smuggled out and brought down to Liberty Hall and printed by me. When this would happen, I would often work all night. Being a printer in Liberty Hall was a more complicated job than operating a press in, for example, the Irish Independent. So Brady must have had sympathies for the cause. As a Dubliner, he would have witnessed the tragedy and suffering of his fellow workers in the 1913 lockout and its unfavourable coverage in the Independent. Perhaps he decided there would be more integrity in printing the Workers' Republic. On the week before Good Friday, the police came on from a raid in Joe Stanley's printing works to Liberty Hall. They rushed into the shop and proceeded to seize copies of the Gale, which was usually printed at Stanley's works. This was regarded by those in the hall as merely an excuse for a general survey, for the feeling of an approaching crisis was then in the air. The three women were behind the counter and I was looking through a little door with two spy holes in it into the machine room. I saw the red and hastily went for James Connolly who was upstairs with Madame Markovich and others. Connolly came down quickly, walked quietly to the counter with drawn gun in his hand. A few feet away Miss Maloney was already covering the police with her automatic. Connolly looked sternly at the police and gave his command to them, drop those papers or I will drop you. At this moment, Madame Markovich, who had gone out through the front door of Liberty Hall, had come round the street corner and appeared at the entrance to the co-op behind the raiding police. As she entered, a hot-headed young policeman was urging his comrades to rush Connolly. As he spoke, Madame came forward. She too had them covered and they realised they were surrounded. With this, they beat a quick retreat. Within an hour of this incident, a large contingent of the citizen army men were mobilised to defend Liberty Hall. I carried a dispatch from Connolly to Commandant Michael Mallon at Emmet Hall in Chicor for this mobilisation. The Countess wrote the dispatch and she said, Christy, when you get to Emmet Hall and see Commandant Mallon, tell him he is to get the guns. Within an hour, Malan and his men arrived at Liberty Hall and immediately took up positions of defence around the building. 
From that day onwards, when I went into Liberty Hall, an armed guard of Citizen Army men was placed protecting me. Also, I was handed an automatic by James Connolly for my own protection. Brady would have been used at this stage to printing seditious material. The most important thing he printed, however, wasn't a newspaper. On the Wednesday or Thursday of Holy Week, James Connolly brought Podrick Pierce into the machine room. He introduced me to him and said, This is my printer, and this is the machine on which he works. They had a general chat in the printing room, and both of them departed. Sean McDermott was a weekly visitor to Liberty Hall. He would drop in on Thursday night, usually, for an advanced copy of the Workers' Republic, as he himself, very often, was responsible for some articles in it. Other occasional visitors were Tom Clark and Joseph Plunkett. On Good Friday, James Connolly told me to call to his office, as he wanted to see me very privately. I went to his office and he told me that he was speaking to my colleagues Michael Malloy and William O'Brien, and he asked if I could be in Liberty Hall with them on Easter Sunday morning between 10 and 11am. He didn't say what he wanted us for. He met us on the steps of Liberty Hall on Easter Sunday morning, brought us upstairs to one of the rooms and introduced us to Tomás McDonough. James Connolly said, These are my three workmen here. Then Tomás McDonough said to us, Well men, the time is about opportune to strike a blow for Ireland. I will read to you first the manuscript which I want you to produce in print. When he had finished reading, he asked for a decision. I said, As a humble workman, I consider it a great honour to be entrusted to do such a heroic job. The others answered in a similar manner. When I read the document, I fully understood that it was a document proclaiming an Irish Republic and that it meant war. But my colleagues and myself were unanimous in our decision. McDonough then said to Connolly, James, will you have these men sworn in? Connolly replied, No, I will vouch for those men's secrecy. He shook hands with us and gave the manuscript to the compositors. The men proceeded to set the type for the proclamation. When they had half of it set, the shortage of type was so great that wrong fonts had to be used, and I had to make a new letter by converting an F into an E from sealing wax. I gave the first proof to James Connolly at 9pm, and he checked it with the manuscript. The job was finished between 12 and 1 on Easter Monday morning. We had then run off. 2,500 copies. When the printing of the proclamation was completed, I made up two parcels of the printed copies, 1,250 in each, and brought them to Miss Helena Maloney, who was lying on a couch in the co-op shop room in Liberty Hall. She told me to put them under her pillow. She was armed with a revolver. While all this was going on in the machine room of Liberty Hall, a crisis was unfolding around them. With the sinking of the odd, and with it a last-minute consignment of rifles for the rising, Owen McNeil published his countermanding order in the Sunday Independent. During the printing process, the Citizen Army were, as usual, guarding the machine room. Suddenly, the Countess Markovich knocked at the door and asked to be allowed to come in. She was stopped by the officer in charge until Commandant Connolly came. When we had finished the printing of the proclamation, the Countess was admitted into the machine room. She said to James Connolly, I will shoot Owen McNeil. And James Connolly replied, you are not to hurt a hair on McNeil's head. If anything happens to McNeil, I will hold you responsible. She was in a raging temper, and she showed Connolly a telegram. What it contained, I do not know. But she was acting on whatever was in it. In the early hours of the morning, large bodies of volunteer and citizen army men were arriving at Liberty Hall, 
They were fully armed. At this stage, my comrades and myself left the premises and returned home. Christopher Brady wasn't a member of the Citizen Army, and there are no records of him taking any further part in the Easter Rising. However, his fingerprints remain on this chapter of Irish history and on the most important document from that time. For more, go to www.storiesfrom1916.com. Thanks for listening.